0: Tired? Yeah, long day. But your ship's the last one in. So anything to declare? Uh, Any plants, non-sentient pets, organic matter? Nothing organic, just some pottery and stonework. Mm, Funny thing. Bottom of this box on the inside is four inches shorter than the bottom of the box on the outside. Like there was a hidden compartment in here. If I didn't know any better, I might think you were trying to smuggle something in. Not a chance. It's just packing material to protect the stuff. Here, let me show you.
1: You have transmissions holding.
0: Batch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode.
1: Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside of bed. out there in podcast land this is scott with gray 17 excited to have a special episode uh, we reached out to a gentleman who is known to babylon5 community for multiple reasons and he was very gracious enough to give us his time and that is mr marshall t so we are excited to have you here uh to just talk about your experience with both your role with Babylon 5, but also as a, an actor who has been a very busy individual for many, many years. We'd love to hear more about that. So, uh, with me as well is Blake from the team, and we're going to be just chatting with you. So, sir, if you want to just um, give a little bit of introduction of yourself and kind of wh- who you uh, are and where you're coming from. Uh,
0: my name is Marshall Teague. I've been around the acting world for about 44 years. I've been very blessed to have done a lot of shows over the years with some incredible people. I mean, absolutely incredible people, everything from sci-fi to Westerns, to cops, to military, you name it, you know, I comedy, I've done, they've thrown in a little comedy with Marshall every once in a while. So it's it's been a great, it's been a great uh, 44 years. I have absolutely no complaints whatsoever.
1: Yeah, you know, I was um, looking at your, your IMDB and you, uh, Obviously, you have a voice and a face that people would recognize, but just the amount of things that you have been in and the cultural pieces that you've taken part in—it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's it's amazing. And I, you know, I can kind of do a timeline of my <laughs> my experiences with uh, with culture, uh, both uh, movie and TV, just by looking at what you've done. It's really amazing. We're here today to uh, first off talk about Babylon 5 um, in a whole, but as I mentioned to you as we got started. Uh, we have a group of newbies who are watching the show for the first time. And the next episode we're going to be discussing is Infection, which is also where you joined uh, uh, the show for the first time.
0: Now, you know, I'm not sure that I've actually ever seen the entire episode. Really? I know that oh, yeah. sounds strange, but, you know, when you do them or something, I think I sure. went on to, a, I was on a project when it came out and just missed it. You know, I just never saw it, but uh, I, I remember it. I remember it very well. And I, you know, when you get a chance to work with David McCallum, you know, that's pretty cool.
1: The first thing I would love to hear from you is um, how you got uh, casted for the role uh, and your experience in making that episode.
0: Well, I got, I mean, I went in, you know, like everybody else. It's a new show, just like everybody else. You go in, nobody, you know, you don't know what it is. It's it's a new show. It's a brand new show. It's sci-fi. It's out there. It's another universe. I mean, it's, as opposed to Star Trek that traveled to different uh, places in in the Babylon 5 world, we brought all the places together. It was probably, it, it, I mean, Joe Straczynski's uh, his mind works. He's out there in a great way, you know. His mind just works, it never stops, he never stops. Uh, but this was something that was had been in his mind a long time because he's he is a a sci-fi geek if you are him, but he created this we went in and there really wasn't a lot of people going into it i understand a lot of people got turned down because the first question they ask you are you claustrophobic that's first question they ask and a lot of people say well you know i don't like no i said are you claustrophobic because this is about to get really tight and i went in for the interview and they asked me this question i says well uh no i was a diver in the navy I'm not claustrophobic on anything. And they said, wonderful. Uh, you know, I did a, a quick read of something, which there really wasn't a lot of dialogue, as you well know. I walked around other than playing the character as a human, as a, I turned into a bioweapon and pretty much wreaked havoc across Babylon 5. But, uh, you know, we, I think we should get into how that was done. It was the first, I think it was the first TV full body prosthetic that was ever done. And uh, in doing so, I mean, when I went in, they said, yeah, you're going to be in a suit. Oh, okay. I've been in all suits, so it doesn't bother me. So, well, this one's going to be a little different. We're going to cast your entire body and the uh, you're only going to be able to breathe through two straws we're going to put in your nose. Okay. <laughs> <And> <laughs> they didn't tell me that while after they covered me up with all this stuff and I was in this vat, literally in this vat with two straws coming up through this material, they went to lunch. They left me completely encased in this. I think it was for 45 minutes. I was in there, so I just finally fell asleep. I got bored, so I fell asleep. It was just snoozing away when they finally came back in. They, you know, first thing they said, "Oh crap, he's still in there." Marshall, are you okay? I said, "What? Yeah, I'm fine, man." What? I, I said, "It feels firm. You know, so I think we're done." So, you know, the, obviously they start the separation process. The boxes go down. There's a big gel block and they cut it in half and out pops Marshall with two straws still in his nose. And then they started forming this suit, this this a carrion warrior The suit weighed 72 pounds. Jeez. It took, uh, I think, four and a half hours to get me into it. And once you get into it, you're not coming out of it till the end of the day. I, I lost 11. On the average, I lost 11 and a half pounds per day. My goodness. And
1: how many days were you actually in the suit? Nine days.
0: Wow. Nine days. Um, they At first, I mean, I was walking around. And they said, we're hearing water sloshing. I said, yes, you are. The boots that I'm in are full. You didn't have to go to the restroom because obviously you didn't hold on to anything. So I punched holes in the boots. And of course, all this water just started pouring out of the boots. And I'm, no, I didn't go to the bathroom in the suit. No, I didn't do it. I'm clear that up right now. <laughs> I did not do that at any point, but they punched holes in it. And the next thing they know, the floor is covered with sweat, liquid, It's an t- internal temperature that I think the internal temperature was 108 Oof. on an average day. And when you fought, the temperature went to about 115. That, that's the first couple of days, first two or three days there, you know, they didn't have a cool suit, mm. you know, to keep my temperature down. So basically I just had to sit in there and roast for you know, eight eight hours, and drink a lot of fluids. And again, I will say, I did not go to the bathroom in that suit. It just all came out in sweat. But they sculpted. If you've seen it, it was it's a pretty intense suit. You know, with that huge weapon on my right arm, and uh, and this thing that came out because of that implanted that implanted um, piece of that David McAllen stole by the way, off, off uh, the, the planet of acarium that implanted itself in my chest and created that thing. So uh, that's just a little bit of how I got the roles because I wasn't claustrophobic. And Joe kept coming in every once in a while while we were shooting this. And he would walk up to me and he would get real close to it like this. And he would look at me. Of course, my eyes were slits, you know, had these yellow films with slits in it. And he said, are you okay? And I just did the voice that I went, yes, I am fine. And two or three times every day he would come in and tap me on the head. Are you okay? You know, and it just it was very kind, very sweet of him to do so. But they finally got the cool suit and that helped a lot. So part of our
2: background that we've been doing with the show is also, you know, Scott and I have both been reading the old Usenet groups for Babylon 5 that are still out there. And we've also watched some of the videos from the various conventions where the cast has been telling stories And there's one in particular out there online about uh, you and the suit. I guess they were having a production meeting and no one had seen the suit yet. And there's this story version where they said you kind of they sent you into this production meeting, kicking the door in in the suit. Yes, sir.
0: Well, that was another little gift from Joe. Joe wanted to surprise her because basically he didn't let anybody see this. This being the first time in a television program that they did a walking, talking human being in a 72-pound Icarian biological war machine. And they were in there having a meeting. And he said, I just want you to kick the door and come in. So I did. And I picked up the weapon and I waved it around the room like this. And he said, and Joe was very cool. He said, you may return to station. I (laughs) turned around and walked out. And everybody was sitting there going, oh, shit, what was that? That's amazing. Like one of the little, one of the girls in there, I don't know who she was, but what department she worked. In, I'll never forget a little tiny thing, sweet as she could be, but she jumped back like somebody had plugged her into a wall socket. She just went, she went, oh my god, like this. And I was kind of like, wow. I guess you know we got the uh, we got the needed effect.
1: The interesting thing about this too is not only were you in the show for season one right off the bat, but this is um, the first episode in the production order. So you were working with the team right out of the get-go for them as well too Absolutely. They, had done, they had done the pilot but that was a year before this so yeah. what kind of experience was it working with a fresh production team as well you know I'm glad you I'm glad you asked that question it's a
0: very good question
1: because anytime
0: you're coming on to something and to this magnitude where you're creating this and you're creating this around something that no one has done to this point and with a new with a new crew, I will say that, you know, they jumped in with all four feet. I mean, I think it was because, I mean, all the neat things they got to create and ideas that they came up with, they were able to come up with this and literally just throw it out there. What do you think? And, um, you know, there was a lot of people bit, you know, they bit on this. They would sit there and go, well, yeah, I think we can do this. You know, I think we can do this and, and let's try this. And they couldn't have been more kind you know, they really couldn't have been more kind because when you walk up and you have a guy standing next to you with a mop and a bucket whose walk, when you go over and you have to stand in one place, you know, you stand in one place. so They don't want people to slip on all the, the sweat coming out. And then they have a box of, I want to call it sand or Fuller's Earth or something. They wanted me to step in before I walked in because they didn't want me slipping. You know, they wanted me to step off. They mopped up the water. I stepped in the stuff to give me a little traction. So I could walk in with this thing on. I mean, you'd be surprised what it's like when you're walking around in that all day long, and you're looking through. I mean, they really couldn't even take out the uh, the eye coverings. You know, the uh, whatever they you know lens covers. They couldn't take them out because it was just the suit was built so tight. You know, to me, it literally. You know, when if I if they clamped down on my jaw, you would see the you would see the suit react. I mean, it was literally that that tight on me, hearing was a bit of an issue, you know, like rolling, you couldn't hear it. <laughs> so they had to punch little holes there so I could hear something, you know, through the suit. I mean, the suit was about, I mean, that thick in places. Uh, I mean, maybe that thick. So, you know, to give that bulk and size to it. But when you talk about a crew going the extra mile, you know, they knew they, they had something good here. Everybody there knew out of the box they had something really really good here and they wanted to be a part of it and they were not going to let it fail and they did hey
1: everybody it's scott i'm cutting in here in the middle of the interview because this is the point of no return after this we're going to start talking spoilers about babylon 5. so if you are with us as a newbie and checking out b5 for the first time and you've only watched infection run away now because we're going to talk about what happens after infection if you do have to run away please be sure to check out marshall's uh, social media feeds they are linked in the show notes he is an amazing human being and you should check him out and also let him know you're checking him out because you heard him from us so again if you are not wanting to know about what happens in babylon 5 all the way to the end leave now and if you're okay with being spoiled, or you've been a lifelong fan, well then, hang with us.
2: Thanks. And okay. And before we jump that, and you, and you mentioned the family and working on this first episode, and you, you came back in season two, obviously, and then the recurring role of Clon. And if I'm not mistaken, you had a spot in Crusade as well. Yes, I did. Uh, mm-hmm. And. You mentioned that everyone there knew that they were working on something that was going to be great and putting it in. Absolutely. I mean, did you all have any idea then that 30 years later you were still going to be bringing in new fans to this show and even resonating with oh, still people like Scott and I?
0: Absolutely not. I'll give you an example, and it's not a Babylon thing, but it is like, for instance, Roadhouse. Most people have seen the movie Roadhouse. Well, a Roadhouse huh? yeah, was a it few twice? times. Yeah, But, you know, it wasn't a huge budget movie, but we did it. And, you know, basically, I always say to everybody, we went to a fight and a movie broke out. And when you talk about 33, you know, that movie's been around 33, 33 years now. And it is watched every day. And people that watch Babylon 5, when it's out there and you can get to it. Yes, they watch it. Why? Because it is different. It's different. The personalities, you know... (sighs) Like I said, the differences between Star Trek and Babylon 5 are huge. One traveled, one had to live together and make it work. And that was the trick. It was about bringing all the people and aliens and different civilizations together, living together in in, in proximity, and then with everyone's different idea of government and everything, but making it work as a whole. That was hard to do and, you know, and hard to do as a program, but they did it. Uh, does, you know, am i am i surprised i'm flattered i think is a word i would use because i really did excuse me i really did enjoy working on the show i i I had many friends on that show as you well know (laughs) going to work was a pleasure you know and uh i always say the saddest moment of every day it was for me and the same for others was when they said ladies and gentlemen that is a wrap you know at the end of the show that's what you hear and then you sit around and you go, wow, when's the next one? When is the next one? And and everybody on there pretty much had that attitude. So when I well, you say 30, 30 years later, it's still going? Yeah, it's still going. And people loving it. And that, like I said, that flatters me.
1: Well, if we get lucky, it may go even more if uh, the uh, new reboot gets picked up, which was are right. hopeful yeah. for. You
0: know, I've heard little bits and pieces about it. Not You've much.
1: You've probably heard more than we have because JMS is being very quiet.
0: <laughs> no, I, no, I haven't heard more than you. I hear hints of who's may be there or may not. You know, and everybody says, are you going to be there? I said, I have no idea. I I really couldn't answer that question. That's up to Joe, you know, and if he feels that he can bring back Talon for whatever reason, would I do it? Yeah, because I still have the sword.
1: Well, OK, there you go. Let's you mentioned some of the folks you got to work with. And um, uh, well, first off, let's talk a little bit about David McCollum. Um, I am a huge one of my favorite films of all time is The Great Escape. Um, and so just watched it it. awesome so love to hear a little bit about how uh, he was working with him and we can go from there too well
0: to start out with David McCallum I will say right off the bat he's a consummate perfectionist not unlike many others that worked on he was very professional uh, very kind a very kind giving man uh, always up for a conversation when you know something is slow on the set if he's doesn't have lines to work on and everybody was very respectful there if they saw you were studying nobody bothered you they let you do your job but if you weren't you were hanging out yeah yeah you just, hey David I just want to you know tell you know I would have yeah, first thing I said was the great escape and then I went with the man from uncle I said I loved your carry Elio Kiriak and, and and he just went he went on and on about that character with Robert Vaughn and how they had all these neat toys they would give them to play with you know and they had a good time, but working with him was just a real pleasure. I mean, I walk on the set and all of a sudden I'm staring right at David McCallum, Ilio Kariak, and I'm I'm sitting there eyeball to eyeball with this man. and He introduces himself. David, it's, it's a pleasure. It's nice, nice to meet you. And uh, you're going, well, yeah, I think mean, it's Marshall. It's great to meet you, man. So, you know, yeah. Did, it, did I have a little of that little twinge of, wow, this is history I'm working with right here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did.
1: And of course, the other one I, I absolutely, and you've already mentioned him a little bit, is uh, Andreas Consuelos. I, I would think of working with him, and unfortunately we lost him way too soon, but uh, I'd love to hear uh, your experiences with him and just uh, anything you want to share about that as well.
0: Well, it was a combination, you know, how it came. You know, Bruce Boxleiter and I have been friends for years before this. I mean, and being able to work with Bruce was a trip, but when I came on as Talon, and was matched up with uh, Andreas Katsoulis, who is, the, uh, again, I will say a consummate, professionally, I mean, trained actor. I mean, he's just brilliant, you know, in, in his works and his subtleties. You know, you hear in his voice, his subtleties, the way he speaks, the way he uh, emotes emotion sometimes is in the slightest infraction of a word. So working with him was, um, oh, gosh, it was a dream. We came in, to, we would come into makeup, say, 3.30 in the morning. we would come in for makeup. He and I both, we would sit outside. He would smoke his last cigarette before sitting down. And then they would start to put everything on. And we were still Marshall and Andreas until they put in the, um, our eye coverings, which were red. Uh, and the second we did that, we were no longer Andreas and Marshall. You know, we were Jakar and we were Talan. And our whole persona changed, and we never came out of that when we were working. We were always in that persona. Even when we went to eat, we would go together. Of course, I would stand behind him. I never stood in front of him. I stood in, and, and when we sat down to eat, I always allowed him to sit first, and then I would sit. And it was just something that became very natural to do. And everybody else noticed that. Everybody on the set noticed that. Even when we were working, it was always that hierarchy, but equal, you know, uh, connection that went on there. So it was it was it was great. And, the, you know, and as we left the show, you know, as we left the show, he left the show and I it was indicated that I was moving into his position. You know, I think the same as uh, I, I have my sword in my hand, but you have yours and in your heart and in your mind, you know, little things like that make you remember a great person and great moments. And if people, you know, people that watch this, (coughs) excuse me, I'm very sorry, don't, I think you will recognize, you guys have seen it, so you can recognize there is that position that we are in, and uh, we held that all the time. And a lot of people, you know, I've had people question, why, man? I mean, it takes over. It's never over. It's not over till they take, you know, the contacts out. When they take the contacts out, we became Marshall and Andreas, and never before. So it gives you an idea. And of course, Bruce, you know, other people, you were Bruce Boxleitner And I've, like I said, known each other. We have rodeoed together. We have been outside together. We've done some of the craziest stuff in the world. You know, he used to rope a lot and I would go out to watch and, you know, that kind of thing. We just close. We were just close. And, uh, and it, when it worked out and I got on the show, you know, and we had that sword fight, I think it was all alone in the night. I think it was our day in the strife. I don't know which one, but we had the sword fight and, and the guy said, "We don't have any aluminum swords." I said, "Good. Who the heck wants to fight with an aluminum sword?" And Bruce came up and said, "If it was anybody else but Marshall, I would say find me a rubber sword." I said, "But Marshall is very well trained with a sword, so I have—I'm not worried about it at all." So you know, that's that's kind of a high compliment. But I've also been in martial arts my whole life, so I've studied a lot of uh, weaponry, swords, and you know, staff—that kind of thing—along with the rest. But uh, the friendships you make on a show. Are what I wish people would make for real. I really do, because it's something you hold very dear and you don't take it lightly. And you know, I've lost a lot of friends that I've worked with and I miss them every single day of my life. I think about them often. Sometimes at the strangest, strangest time you can imagine, they'll pop into your head. And it's kind of like it's kind of like Joe when he went, Are you okay? You know, that kind of thing. Marsh, how you doing? You feel that. You watch him. I watched Patrick last night and I was sitting there going, and you look good, brother. You look good. You know, so that's that's what we're blessed with. You know, you know, it's, it's a good thing.
1: Does well, that answer you know, your I, question? Oh, it, absolutely. You know, and I can I can see in your, your face and also hear in your voice. And I, it reminds me of the line from uh, Sleeping in Light. You know, may they be in memory still bright. And um, that is the key. And I, I love that. We get to experience these individuals who unfortunately we don't get to experience and haven't we'll never have that. But hearing that from you and hearing that they are as good of people as we, we know them to be is just it's wonderful. It's wonderful. It yeah.
0: <laughs> there's, enough, there's enough uh bad you know press that goes out there. I don't believe in doing anything bad press. I like to keep it, you know, like on a social that kind of I like to keep it light and uplifting. You know I'm not into this I don't know where people come get into this bad-mouthing everything it's just not my style I don't believe in it you know I think there's there's better ways to approach people and, and being positive is one of them and these are all positive things I'm telling you because they're real
2: they happened. and I think what especially with your perspective because you were in one of the very first production episodes with infection and also at the end of the series with season five um, I believe it's that scene in CNC where it's yourself, it's basically the next people that will be carrying forward if the series would have went on on Babylon 5, because I think it was you, Veer, um, Lockwood, kind of standing as to Lynn and Sheridan left the station. So just getting your perspectives on even the production. I mean, you mentioned the family side of it with the cast and the crew, but just how much that production kind of evolved and the closeness of that cast and crew and working. Are you, are, you,
0: are you talking, are you asking me about the separation and going on or are you asking about what it was like at the ending? Uh, what it was like at the ending. Oh.
1: But I also want to hear about the other part too.
0: <laughs> well, as far as the ending is concerned, I guess the best way to say it, you've, you felt it first, you felt it through the week, you know, as we, did scenes. And, you know, surprisingly enough, people that were, you know, finished their scene, you know, and they were cut loose. A lot of them would come back and watch because uh, they didn't want to say goodbye. You know? Yeah. You know, people go, ah, there's no more getting up early in the morning. Bull. That's crap. I don't <laughs> You know, because you know, you're going to work, you know, you're going to work with people you like and they're putting it out there for you and you're putting it out there for the people that are going to watch it and you've developed this over the years, when it came down to the end, we knew it. And we, in many ways, we didn't want to admit it. But when the time came, you know, it was, there was no handshakes, there were hugs. You know, we didn't shake anybody's hand, we hugged them. And we told them how much they meant and what an honor it was to be a part of this for this many years and to see it uh, grow and the fan base grow you know? So to say it was sad, yeah, it was. But at the same time, it was joyful because you were with people you cared about, you know, and it was, um, it was kind of the same, but not really when you're going on to something new, because, you know, you're, even though there are a few that you had worked with were moving on to it, this was a whole new perspective. So again, you start with an amazing crew and you're st- kind of starting over. You're trying to pick it up at a spot and then move it forward in advance. So that's where that was to go. I'm not sure that it had the same um, electricity. You know, it was good, but I'm not sure it had the same electricity as uh, the original. The the original was just charged all the time. It was charged all the time. Yes, were there arguments, but there were arguments about, there were arguments about creativity, not about arguments about, am I mad at yours? I mean, it's arguments about creativity, of wanting to do um, more, and Joe was the great, uh, the great referee, and he could come in and explain it because there's nobody knew more about Babylon 5 than Joe Straczynski. I'm sorry, the man wrote I think almost every episode that mm-hmm. was there. Uh, I don't think he ever went home. He bought he bought a car. I never forget that he bought a car and they brought it to the set. It was his car, and I don't think he'd ever had a car. And he was going to drive it home. I we got a call about five minutes later that Joe can somebody come over here get me please. Take me home. He had run it into a ditch. He didn't know how to get it out of the ditch. He didn't wreck it. He just drove off into a ditch because I think he was trying to think of something or make a note or something. He ended up in a ditch. I mean, a block or two from the studio. So they went over to get him, took him home, got the car out, and he got a chance to spend more time with it. But I'll never forget that night. He said, yeah, Joe, we're going to go pick up Joe, take him home. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> but uh, he never stopped working. That man, you know, it was what it is because Joe never stopped. I mean, he he came in and he got on that thing and he started whacking those keys and creating that. I mean, I mean, you figure he did all that space stuff. He did it on a Mac. He created all that on a Mac. Uh, so, yeah. But he was well, he, he was the great he was the great guy. I mean, he came in. If there was an issue, he would explain why. And if it was something to do with the future, he could tell you that because he knew it already. So when he explained it, everybody went okay. It made sense. It makes sense. Now we know. So, you know, a lot of things don't, people don't, you know, don't hear. I mean, Joe, Joe Strzezinski, you know, he, he was just, he was always in his room, other than tapping me on the head and asking me if I was all right, you know, you rarely saw the man, he would come out, and get something to eat, then after it was over, he would go right back to work. Man was a machine. He was kind of like the character I played in Infection, except a real cool one, you know? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I was gonna to say too. You can see it um, in pictures of him from like '94 up until '98, '99. It looks like he aged in dog years because I'm sure he was working nonstop. He never um, stopped.
0: He never yeah. stopped. They say he would go home and he'd get back on the thing and start writing it. I mean, he just he just never stopped. His mind never stopped. He was create. For instance, the backdrop you have, which is a solar system behind you, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that was Joe's mind. Mm-hmm. It was an entire solar system, and that's he was gathering from all of them and bringing them back into for us to work on. And you know, you just you really can't beat that. Yeah. I mean, you can, that kind of dedication, you can't beat. You couldn't ask for more.
1: As an actor, what uh, you're, you're explaining, you know, what uh, the showrunner brings to the table. Um, how much how, in, in your experiences? How often is that the case? How often do you have either a director? or an executive producer who really understands the world that much? Or is that just something that is um, not normal or isn't normal?
0: That's a, that's a very interesting question. In, in many cases, the showrunner, you know, pretty savvy. They're pretty savvy about it. Joe, Joe was very open-minded, you know, he would listen. If somebody had to say, I'll give you an example. After uh, Bruce and I had that big fight with the swords and everything else like that, you know, you have this character. You had this Narn that was there that was this guy. He was very honorable. He was very honorable. He wasn't a, a madman or anything else. He, he had been captured just like the rest of them for a gladiatorial show of force or whatever. And um, Bruce, you know, said, you know, we've got to do something with this character. You know, there's just I mean, that was Bruce's initial idea. And I guess he had spoken to Joe. And he said, We need to go have a meeting with Joe. So I went in and talked to him, and, and uh, we all sat around. And he said, You know, how do you see your character? And I said, Well, I mean, as little as I know about him at this time, I said, I see him as a samurai. You know, I see him as a lone warrior, a warrior of honor, you know, but a lone warrior, an old, older warrior. He'd been around a while, you know, because you don't even know in Narn years how long that is. So. But uh, Joe looked at me and he said, Well, a samurai has a sword. I said, yes, they do. He said, if you create the sword, I'll create the character. I said, you're wrong. I created the sword and he wrote the character around it. And that's why I still have the sword. Yeah. So and everybody, everybody wanted that sword. You
1: know, Oh, I'm sure. I,
0: I carried it. I carried it in a case. I came to work and that sword was in a case and I would carry it in there, put it in my room. It was locked. And then when it was time to put it on, I would put it on. And when I was done, I put it back and I took it on. I never left it for anybody. To touch or do anything with, so it still is. It still is exactly the same as the day I packed it away.
1: That that's amazing. I, I'm I'm so glad that conversation happened uh, between Box you Lightner too. yourself and, and obviously it gave you more time with the role. But you know, personally, with me, and I mentioned this to you when we were talking online. Uh, Talan is one of my favorite characters in the show. I know he's only on there for five or six episodes, but he he brings so much to that role uh, you bring so much to that role but also as Blake mentioned he kind of acts as that transitional character as well too. You've got the change in Jakar throughout the process. And then at the end we have the the new guard coming in uh with him being an ambassador. I love that character arc that you bring to it. And so it, it's amazing to hear how that started. That's great.
0: That it, it really was. And I mean Joe was very open to it. He liked that episode where we did that. You know he mm-hmm. said there was a there was a connection. There always, there was a connection anyway. There was a natural connection because Bruce and I were friends and uh, there was a natural connection there. And, you know, and, and Bruce came and you oh, know, this is, this is kind of too good to let go. And I, and he mentioned it to Joe and he, he said, you know, yeah, okay, we can, we can, we can figure out what to do. We just have to figure out who he is. And, you know, and I, I mentioned what my two cents worth, what it would be like, what I felt it should be like, because I said, I don't feel, I don't want to carry a you know, like so many, a, a stun gun or a laser beam or anything else like that. If, if he's an old warrior, I want him to be different than everybody else. He fears nothing. I mean, Talon has no fear whatsoever. He, by the same token, he knows when it is time and when it is not time. When you have to be diplomatic, he understands that, even though Jakar has called him, told him to back off just a little bit. Uh, I think there was one episode where I reached for the sword and, Talon, and, and Jakar put his hand up and I stopped, you know, but uh, he created, in my opinion, something, a character that doesn't come around. Do you wish it would have been in more? Yes, you do. But you take what you have and you make the most out of it and you love it and you create it and you, you get inside his skin and you create that Talon, you make him who he is that people like to see and wonder what is he going to do and when. You know, or, or where <laughs> all those all those adjectives you could throw in there
1: outside of Babylon 5 I mean you're 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 talking about this connection you have with Talon what other characters in your repertoire do you feel like you have a personal connection like that too well there were there was
0: there's was several over the years I mean uh, in the western genre uh, I'm the only actor to ever depict Black Jack Pershing who was the general of generals the highest ranking general of all time and how I end up being the only one to ever depict him on screen. Uh, I don't know, but that was in Rough Riders. So, you know, when you have to, you study the man, because when you're playing somebody that a real person that did these things, you better, you better bring his personality to the dance or something, you know, there's enough, there's enough people out there that historians that'll, you know, they'll look up and say, oh, you blew it, man. You weren't this. You didn't do that. I never got any. you know, everybody that when I saw play the character said, you even looked like, you know, you even looked like Black Jack Persia. And your personality was that. And, uh, you know, and and they come along. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you like to think that every time you do a character, whether it's good or bad, you know, Roadhouse, it was Jimmy Reno. There was no question who Jimmy Reno was. You know, you knew from the downbeat who Jimmy Mm -hmm. Reno was. And you take it, whether you have a lot of dialogue or you don't, it's not the dialogue. Surprisingly enough, people will think that it's not. It's what you do here. It's what you do And what you create and the intensity or caring or whatever you have to depict. If it doesn't come through this, that means you're lying to the people out there. And, um, you know, I I always like to refer to this one lesson that I got. And I got it from a a wonderful lady who actually gave Clark Gable his screen test. I started working with her when she was, she was 83 when I started working. And she had been the head of talent for MGM for 19 years, you know, and she was retired you know, I'm retired, I started working. And she came up to me one day, and she had these little round glasses that were about that thick. And she looked up to me and this little tiny person held up this hand. She says, a camera is a truth machine. You can't be playing the part of a dog and think cat, because meow comes across instead of bow wow. In Mm -hmm. other words, don't lie to the camera. So the camera will catch you. A camera will catch you in a lie faster than anything in the world. And if you don't believe it, no one else is either. So that that, I hope answers your question about that's
1: creating a a character. Absolutely, thank you so much for that. And you're you're still in front of the camera to this day. So you've got a couple of things coming up uh, and I know we can't get into too much detail, but you've got a Netflix show coming up and you've also got some films. You wanna hit on those at all?
0: Well, uh, I have one film still waiting for it to come out. It's called Sins of a Mad Dog. Guess who the Mad Dog is? Me. It's a combination yes. of six Confederate Confederate generals packed into one. But then he's kind of a bad guy. But a show I just finished, which I really enjoyed. You know, I really enjoyed. It's 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 going to be called Mo. It's going to be on Netflix. I can't go into great detail, but I played a character in it, and it was a very emotional role because the character I played had something to do with him being able to become a citizen of the United States. It was his story. This is his actual story, and he didn't know he had written, you know, they had written the lines. He said, this is kind of how it went down in court and like this. And, you know, they put a couple of notations are out there so that I could look at and play off of. And uh, they said, Marshall, uh, I, this is kind of, uh, it's kind of an emotional thing. I said, guys, what you need to do is go back and roll the camera. And uh, I said, how far it'll go. I can't tell you, but I can promise you it's going to go. And um, we did it, you know, a couple of times, a couple of different ways. When I finished the first one, Mo and all his family and it was sitting down you know that I was talking we're all crying they were just boo down like this and I looked at it, you know I, I was drying up too a little bit but he came back and he said you so hit a nerve you know I remember that judge and you brought him right back into my head thank you so yeah it was good but it's called mope it's a comedy they'll enjoy it but it's I think it opens I'm not in the first episode I'm toward the end but I think it starts around August 24th, I think, you know, I could be wrong. Uh, I've got uh, a couple of projects that I'm working on. I've co-written two projects. One is a movie that we're working on right now, along with a series, which are you ready for this. It is a sci-fi horror fantasy historical series. Now, try to put all that into one. But it is.
1: <laughs> That's got to be a pitch meeting and a half.
0: <laughs> it is, it's tough. You know, when you roll that out like that. And everybody's sitting there going, "What do you say?" <laughs> <laughs> but there are projects we're working on right now. I'm working with my partner, my wife, uh, my partner, and we're working on getting it out there. And you know, we have a, we have good feelings toward it, good
1: vibes. Blake, you got any other questions?
2: I mean, I think when one thing I would say, and Scott mentioned it when we started, is you know, looking back, especially uh, across your IMDb and just roles that even I remember you from. I mean, even you have got one of the iconic voices, and when you're on a, in a scene and just your presence there. Thinking through, you know, a role you had in DS9 and Voyager and other things that I've seen you and just as, you know, I've watched sci-fi and gone through various shows and seasons. So just the work that you've contributed to shows that have um, been important to me. Just, you know, thank you for your body of work as well and for taking time to share these stories with us today.
0: You are more than welcome. It's an honor. It's a real honor for me. And I thank you guys for uh, breaking in the newbies. On this, you know, I think they'll get I think they'll get attached as you guys have been attached. And I hope it uh, goes on, leads on and on and on. And I thank you for that.
1: So, Marshall, tell us where folks can find you. I know you got social media oh, and that's where I found you. So where yeah. can we find you?
0: Well, you can find me at Marshall R, middle initial R, Teague at uh, on Facebook and 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 Twitter. Marshall R. Teague. And you can find me and uh, come on, have a chat, you know, talk. You can get a hold of them. you can find me.
1: You know, and that's one of the things I, I, I'm really uh, happy that uh, we got a chance to talk because it was really refreshing to have someone who has been in the business as long as you have and has done so much just reply and answer back. Uh, social media is an amazing thing. So it was wonderful to uh, get to chat with you. Um, and hopefully we say, get... Let me say Please. one thing.
0: Yes. This is kind of important. You know, actors, you see actors um, and actresses dressed up and looking great and grand and everything else like that. And, and sometimes people have a tendency to put them on a pedestal. Well, actors, you know, are people that have a job. It's a different job. It is no, in my opinion, this is my opinion, not, I can't speak for the rest of it. I speak for myself. My job and what I do is no more important than anybody else. It's just different. You know, I'm, I'm am I'm a red blooded human being, you know, American, just like uh, everybody else. I hope you know if it, if, they, if I make somebody mad, well, tough. But uh, that's that's who I am. I, and if it wasn't for the people that watch us perform and and do what we do, and hopefully we bring them entertainment, pleasure, things like that. Without them, we are nothing. So they are that important, and I appreciate every single one of them.
1: Thank you for that. And I would flip it on the other side too. You know, uh, I would say that uh, especially for us in the uh, the nerd culture. Um, what you all do and I'm continue to do. I'm a nerd too. Well, Come you've on. got the swords. Come on. Um, right, yeah. But, you know, I mean, you you guys have really been a part of a lot of childhoods and a lot of adulthoods and have really helped to develop a lot of people. I mean, the, the, the work that you all do and continue to do is very impactful and important. So it's wonderful to see that and have it continue for sure.
0: One yeah. thing I would like to say in closing to all of you, to all that are watching and everything else, enjoy what you watch enjoy what you watch thank you for letting me be a part of your life and coming into it in one place or another i thank you gentlemen for having me on with you on this and uh, that's it just i appreciate it thank you
1: well thank you so much we really appreciate your time as well too and hopefully we get a chance to talk again we're going to be doing this for about two and a half years yeah. <laughs> so we'll get i would look time. forward
0: to it i would look forward to it thank you
1: thank you for listening to Gray 17 a babylon 5 podcast You can find all the places to listen to this podcast and links to our social media accounts at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so please join the discussion on Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Gray 17 is a part of the Front Row Network and NPR Illinois Community Voices. You can find all the Front Row shows at thefrontrownetwork.com. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All audio clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing Babylon 5 themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth.